this is Heather. Welcome to Dissected, cutting to the heart of health news. Today's episode is the third and final episode centered on introducing you to randomized control trials, otherwise known as RCTs. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how participants are grouped and how they are blinded, either single, double, or triple. We've also talked about the manner in which participants can receive their intervention in relation to the other group. If you don't recall some aspects of those concepts, go back and listen to episodes 8 and 10. On today's episode, I'm going to take a deep dive into how patients are selected to participate and how they are randomized to groups, which I've touched upon in part 1 or in episode 8. If anything in this episode is confusing, stop and take a break then come back to it. You may even have to listen again, and if that's the case, that's totally okay. When I learned about this, I read my textbook twice in order for it to really sink in. Before we get started, let's set the stage. Imagine you are running a trial and you want to test the effectiveness of daily apple juice consumption versus daily orange juice consumption to prevent the flu. You allocate two groups, the apple juice group and the orange juice group. Your population is the entire United States, but you can't reasonably randomize that entire population, so you select a sample of 100 people residing in your hometown. And lucky you, your hometown is reflective of the makeup of the United States. So let's say we have 1,000 people in your town. Each person is given a number 1 through 1,000. You now need to select 100 people to participate. The simplest method to randomize your sample is by using a system such as a random number table or a random number generator. This is super simple, but this method may not equally represent the population, even though every member of the population theoretically has the same odds of being selected to participate. The next approach is called systematic randomization. This method is slightly more complex, whereby each member of the group is assigned a position. Those positions determine the person's chances of being selected. This method may not be representative of the population, depending on how participants are sorted. Here's an example. The researcher may have a town roster and sort all of the names on that roster alphabetically. They may select every 10th name on the list, or select only those whose last names begin with A, B, C, or D. This method offers some risk of bias and here's why. Say the town is inhabited by 1,000 people, and each letter of the alphabet is equally represented such that 38 people's last names begins with A, 38 start with B, and so on. Now imagine that a single extended family takes up 32 of 38 spaces. That would mean that a single family could represent 22% of all participants, which really could introduce some serious bias. As another example, say all names are sorted alphabetically and the researcher selects every 10th person, spanning A through Z. That would introduce less bias, but it may be problematic depending on how the list is sorted. The next method of randomization is called block randomization, where researchers create groups and an equal number of participants is assigned per group. This method may introduce bias if the covariates are not equally distributed between groups. 
Just as a reminder, a covariate is something that may influence the results of the study. In this example, a covariate may be those who have very weak immune systems by nature. The best method of randomization is called stratified randomization. In this method, participants are grouped by characteristics and then allocated to different groups. So for example, we can say that we have two groups, 50 in the orange group and 50 in the apple juice group. Between the two groups, we may want 50 women and 50 men. Of those 50 women, we want 20 white women, 20 black women, and 10 Asian women. Within those groupings, we also want 16 women between the ages of 18 and 35, 16 women between the ages of 36 and 59, and 18 women over the age of 60. We also want one-third of those women to be immunocompromised. If you've lost track of the numbers, that's okay. This is just to illustrate that this method of randomization is very complex, but on the other hand, it is the least likely to introduce bias because we've been very methodical about the way our groups are designed. So I've given you a lot to think about, so let it marinate for a while, and if something didn't quite make sense, listen again in a few hours or even on another day. I hope you found this information helpful. If so, please share this episode in the entire podcast series with a friend. You can also rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode and so you can help other people to find the show. You can also find the show on Instagram at DissectedHealthPod and you can also join the Facebook group at the same address. If you have helpful feedback or questions or you have an idea for something you'd like me to discuss in the future, please reach out to me via the contact page on my website dissectedhealthpod.com. Thanks again for joining me today. Have a delightful day and I'll see you next week.